welcome back to My Stolen Freedom. My name is Jade Rogers and I'll be your host. And today we have a very special guest, Leah. So welcome, Leah. We're so excited to have you. Thanks so much <laughs> for having me, Jade. It's lovely to be here. So Leah has some background in activism, especially working with human trafficking, and she's going to share her story and some advice she's got and some information about what she does. So Leah, could you tell us a little bit about yourselves and what your background in activism is um, related to the issue of human trafficking? Yeah, absolutely. So I have done a lot of different aspects of advocacy. Advocacy can look a lot of different ways. And so I'm just going to touch on a few of them. But I Mm -hmm. first heard about the issue of human trafficking, probably around the time that you did, Jade, I would have been in high school, and I was part of a youth delegation. And a few of my friends mentioned this issue, I had not been aware of it at the time. And I probably like you and a lot of your listeners was very shocked to realize this is something that happens all the time in Canada. And Mm -hmm. for those who don't know, you know, human trafficking, it could take a number of different forms, but the form I would have been learning about a lot at the time was sexual exploitation or sex trafficking. And Mm -hmm. I was really shocked and heartbroken to realize that there are people my age um, who were being trafficked and were being exploited. And so I would have learned about this at a young age and became very passionate about it. And that passion continued on as I went to university, I would have taken a degree, a double major in political science and women's studies. And so in a lot of my classes, I chose to write about the issue of human trafficking. And I would kind of draw on political theory or or feminist theory and really try to keep myself educated and up to date as to what the statistics were, what human trafficking looked like internationally, what it looked like domestically here in Canada. And that was a lot of my academic work. While I was in university, I would have helped with a couple different clubs. So I actually helped start a club on campus because there wasn't a club that was focused on the issue of human trafficking from a Canadian perspective. And so that club I started with one of my colleagues in law school and we called it the Canadian Abolitionist Students Association. And we were really just focused on raising awareness about what human trafficking looks like in Canada. But I also had the immense privilege to actually be part of the leadership team of one of the other student clubs on campus. And it was the student chapter for International Justice Mission. And International Justice Mission is one of the largest, if not the largest, anti-slavery organization around the world. And while they don't focus on the issue of human trafficking in Canada, Canada per se. They don't don't do casework on the issue here. They do advocacy work, but they do really hands-on advocacy work and casework internationally. And so Mm -hmm. they have offices around the world and do incredible work, not just on sex trafficking, but also labor trafficking. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I had the, the privilege of serving on the executive team of that club as well. So I really got involved at the university level. But while I was in university, I thought, you know, I, I'm not an expert in this. There's, there's no way that I, you know, can be a service provider. I can't necessarily help someone exit a trafficking situation. But what I do have are some of my note-taking skills and my mm-hmm. time, and I can volunteer. And so I just Googled in the area that I was living in. I just Googled what are some anti-human trafficking organizations in the area. And that's when I found out about 
uh, the, the Ottawa Coalition to End Human Trafficking. Mm -hmm. And at the time, they had a couple positions open. One was for be being the secretary and one was for being the vice chair. And so I kind of made a mental note that I would apply for the secretary position because I thought, you know, I'm a student, I'm good at taking notes. And when I went to apply, those positions had both actually been filled and the chair position was open. And I thought, well, you know, the worst that could happen is they say <laughs> no. And so I put my name forward for the chair position and I was honored and privileged to be the chair of the Ottawa Coalition for three years before mm -hmm. I handed off that leadership um, because I was leaving the Ottawa area and it just did not make sense and it was time for new leadership. And so I helped lead a, a coalition of other organizations that were doing incredible work and just really functioned as, as their champion, so to speak, um, really trying to help them and, and figure out ways to support them. Um, and then all, all the while, the one of the clubs that I started, I think I mentioned uh, earlier, the CASA Club, We I did a big event um, with the co-founder last year and so I kind of did some advocacy there in terms of doing an online conference and navigating yeah. all the virtual uh, complications that that we've mm -hmm. been facing in the last couple of years and now through all of that I have continued to do advocacy work on this issue and while it's not the only thing that I do um, part of my job for the Christian Legal Fellowship which is where I work as a lawyer now is I work on this issue and, and really look for advocacy opportunities internationally domestically and just really trying to keep people aware of the issue educated make sure that our our students who work with us are also aware of this and so we'll actually mm -hmm. be doing a, a human trafficking webinar are coming up and yeah so that's that's kind of the work that I've done so I've worked for a number of different organizations and obviously my comments today aren't advocating or on behalf of any one of these organizations I'm talking to in my personal capacity as you know mm -hmm. a fellow advocate and, and someone who's really passionate about this issue but I would really encourage your listeners to check out any of those organizations I mentioned they they do incredible work and um, and, it, and it really has been such a privilege to work with them and so yeah that's a little bit of my background um, my mm. academic background my advocacy background and um, yeah that's that's a good place to start I think yeah so trailing back to the CASA conference that you guys uh, co-hosted I suppose mm -hmm. um that was really cool. I got to like watch online and I think it was eight or 10 hours long. Yeah. Right. Yes. It was so crazy. Yeah, it was I'm, a marathon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it was so good. And I remember being just like absorbing the information and then like having to sit and just cut, try to process all mm -hmm. the hours of really good commentary and mm -hmm. all the different people you got to get on that. It was so awesome. Mm -hmm. How, like what went into preparing for that? Like, have you been preparing for months or you know trying to contact all those people it was just it was so incredible it seemed like you probably took maybe a year to plan that <laughs> so it's funny that you say that because we'd actually wanted to do that event for probably for a whole year before but obviously with the pandemic everything shifted online and so we had had this vision of having a week weekend type style conference where people mm -hmm. could come and, you know, just have, have a little less condensed into one day <laughs> and have more time yeah. for interaction and maybe some interesting artistic um, advocacy efforts afterwards. And just, you know, really giving people the opportunity to, to ponder a little bit more and not cramming everything into one day, but because of, of the, you know, the circumstances that we were, we were dealing with, we decided to transition everything online as opposed to not doing it 
it at all. And part mm -hmm. of that was we, we had been given some funding, some financial support to, to work on this project. And so we really wanted to make sure that we, uh, that we use that and that we really brought awareness to it. And the timing actually worked perfectly because our, our event ended up coinciding with the first ever official National Human Trafficking Awareness Day. And so people have been commemorating Human Trafficking Awareness Month or National Human Trafficking Awareness Day for a while, but um, back in um, 2021, it was officially recognized as uh, National Human Trafficking Awareness Day by the government of Canada. And so that was a really cool opportunity for us to have kind of had this event already planned and it to coincide so perfectly. Um, mm -hmm. the, the, the crux of the event, the goal really was education and bringing together different voices to kind of give a a more holistic understanding of the issue. And so we started off right off the bat by having a survivor share some of her story and having, she was a, a survivor and now a service provider. And we had one of her colleagues as well jump on and really give this hope-filled message of the end of slavery really is possible and setting people on that tone as they learned about the issue of human trafficking to really know that we're not talking about an issue that we just have to accept will be around all the time, but that we really can see the end to slavery, modern day slavery as people often call it, or human trafficking and exploitation in our lifetime. And that's that's what we wanted to start with. And then mm -hmm. we, we moved through a number of different presentations. We, we gave a little bit of the, the background of where things stand with the laws in Canada right now. We shifted to some of the academic commentary of, you know, for those who are in academia or maybe high school, what can you be doing? How can you be doing some useful research on this issue that might, you know, make a difference? And then we also transitioned to more of a, a legislative or political discussion where we were able to draw on two individuals, um, one senator and one uh, member of parliament who have both mm. done some incredible work on this issue and really just had a conversation about whether political and legal um, initiatives really make a difference, what the work is that goes in, into that, how Canadians can support those initiatives from a grassroots perspective. And so we had that conversation. And I think one of my favorite was actually the service provider frontline workers panel, where we brought together a survivor who leads an organization herself. Um, we brought together another um, service provider and some police officers to all talk about what it looks like to combat human trafficking on the ground. Because we can have these policy discussions and talk about, you know, what the laws are like and, you know, mm -hmm. what academia and the research is like, but what does it look like on the ground in Canada, the issue of human trafficking, sexual exploitation, how do you address that um, from, a, from a frontline perspective? So that was kind of the, the overview. And we would have ended with one of the, the big points that I, that we wanted people to take away, which is that you cannot talk about the issue of human trafficking in Canada without recognizing the overrepresentation of Indigenous women and girls. And so mm -hmm. we would have had a, a, a hour and a half long presentation committed to that specifically and just look doing looking at some of the research that we were trying to do as a club as an organization um, at the time and and so I think that's something that we we can touch on maybe later and I think it's something that you you're already aware of Jade and and I hope your listeners are too but um, it really is kind of a, a unique uniquely Canadian problem um, mm -hmm. I can't speak to other jurisdictions but in Canada 
the, the number of Indigenous women and girls who are trafficked is disproportionate compared to um, the, the percentage of the population that they make up. And so mm-hmm. we, we, that was kind of our vision for the, the overall presentation. And like you said, there was a lot of information, a lot to process, um, mm-hmm. a lot to, to take away from, but it was, it was an honor. And, and I would encourage you know, those who are listening to, to consider similar opportunities. You know, you might not have funding. It might not be a, a whole eight hour to 10 hour presentation or series of mm-hmm. presentations, but you're a, you, you too could run something similar of just, you know, inviting a speaker to speak to your class or inviting yeah. someone to do a podcast or do a Facebook live video and just kind of ra- raise awareness because that really is the goal. And for those like me who aren't service providers and and don't have the skills necessary to actually go in and and help those who are experiencing exploitation, this is one of the best ways that I can raise awareness and help combat trafficking myself. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, I know there was there was so much information, but like probably um, the stuff that I was very new to was the talk about pornography and how Mm -hmm. that impacted victims of human trafficking. I was like, so blown away by just all the information it was crazy I mm-hmm. I kind of already had a negative view of pornography um but like to to then connect it to human trafficking I was just like oh my gosh so shocked and for sure taken back by that yeah yeah and that's a good point I forgot to mention that but that was one of the presentations we really wanted to to focus on because as we you know as we all know we're in an increasingly technologically advanced world Mm -hmm. and we're seeing the trends of human trafficking responding to that and so we are seeing uh, an increase in sexual exploitation and sex trafficking moving into online spaces and taking the form of you know non-consensual pornographic content and so one of the things that that is particularly concerning about that, and some will refer to it as pornography trafficking. One of the things that's really concerning about that is even after you're able to help the victim leave the exploitative situation, because that content is online, it continues to circle around the internet. The trafficker continues to be able to profit off of it. And Mm -hmm. and therefore that exploitation kind of stays uh, current, even though that person has since left the situation and, and able to go on their own healing process and so it really does create this this form of almost eternal exploitation this perpetual profiting mm-hmm. off of the abuse and and sexual exploitation of others and so um, yeah that that is a unique angle and there's a lot more research that's that needs to be done on that but there have been some some really interesting media reports even in the last year or two just showing the the ways that um, the online world is really becoming a, a haven for this type of of sex trafficking or sexual exploitation. So we were trying to raise awareness uh, to that issue as well and keep ourselves educated, right? We were we heard from a number of experts ourselves. So we really were just the panel facilitators yeah. as we tried to learn and learn alongside our, our participants like you, Jade, for sure. Mm-hmm. So I guess jumping off of that and the media involvement and how it's growing, can you touch on um, how like how people are being impacted by human trafficking, specifically in Ontario? And, you know, if that relates to the media or if it's in schools or with older people like, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, there's so much that could be talked about with mm-hmm. the issue of human trafficking. I mean, you know, it takes so many different forms, impacts people in so many different ways. And 
you know, when I was doing work for the coalition, one of the things we always said was there are definitely communities that are overrepresented and traffickers will target people who are vulnerable, people who are marginalized. Um, but really, you know, there are individuals who find themselves victimized who are from every background, every walk of life. And so mm -hmm. it really is something that all of us need to learn about and, and be discussing. And so some, some information and some statistics that, um, that I'll mention from now is, um, I mean, sex trafficking in Canada disproportionately affects women and youth and, and that's mm -hmm. um, to you know that's not surprising um, but there really are we see overrepresentation of vulnerable populations including indigenous women immigrants and those who are from a low socioeconomic status and that information is from public safety Canada um, mm -hmm. it would have been released in about 2019 and so it, it won't have changed significantly over the last couple of years I imagine Statistics Canada in, in 2020 and 2021 released some, some statistics showing that um, in 2019, just to give you a sense of you know, how prevalent this issue is, in 2019 there would have been 511 reported cases of human trafficking. And of those cases, 95% of the victims were women and girls. And so we really do see this disproportionate impact. Um, and, and of those victims, um, in, in, again, in 2019, 43% were between the ages of 18 and 24. And then mm -hmm. in 2018, the data was that 28% of police reported human trafficking victims were under the age of 18. And so those are minors, right? And, mm -hmm. and those are people who cannot con consent um, in, in different jurisdictions in Canada. The age of consent will, will vary, but they cannot consent um, in some cases. And, and you're talking about youth. You're talking about people who are being taken advantage of um, in part because of their age and their vulnerability. And so um, in, in between the years 2009 and 2019, we would have seen 2,468 police reported cases and over two-thirds of those cases were in Ontario. So Ontario really does function as a, a place where there's a lot of human trafficking activity. There's, it's a bit of a hub for human trafficking, particularly along the 401 corridor. You'll hear a lot of people discussing that. In terms of the overrepresentation of Indigenous women, um, the, the Native Women's Association of Canada notes that in 2016, Indigenous women made up roughly 50% of human trafficking victims, even though they only comprise about 4% of the population, wow. the Canadian population. Um, and some government statistics as well show that in some communities where the Indigenous population is less than 10%, uh, Indigenous children and youth formed up to 90% of individuals who were in the sex trade. And so you're really taught, you're seeing a huge overrepresentation of Indigenous women and girls um, in who are being impacted by sexual exploitation and sex trafficking. Now, I will note, because there, are, there might be some of your listeners, Jade, who are very familiar with human trafficking on an international scale and just mm -hmm. kind of assume that it's the same in Canada. And I'll just flag quickly that in Canada, unlike international jurisdictions, we really do see that most of the trafficking, the sex trafficking we're seeing is domestic. Um, and I think you would have actually mentioned that on your on your previous episode. It, it, we really mm. do see that it's mostly domestic individuals who are being trafficked. Um, and traffickers, while it's possible that there are situations, and while we do see situations of organized crime, we really do see this more of uh, a relationship 
structure. And so it's often referred to as the boyfriend method or the boyfriend technique. And what we see is that traffickers will use the, the guise of a relationship and re will really uh, target an individual, usually a woman uh, or a girl, and, and convince them that they're in a relationship and start what seems to be a legitimate relationship. But over time, they'll then say, well, in order to, um, to support our relationship, I need you to do X or Y. I need you to engage in this type of activity. I need you to provide this service to this individual. And so individuals in Canada who are being trafficked often don't realize they're being trafficked because they think they're agreeing to this because it's in the context of a relationship and it kind of happened slowly over time as opposed to, you know, being kidnapped and, and disappeared. Um, and, and we really do see that this creates a, a different layer of dependency. The Native Women's Association of Canada also flagged this where it creates this dependency. And so victims really struggle to identify that they're being trafficked, but also leave um, and, and, and maybe, you know, um, engage in in activities that would put their trafficker at risk and maybe report to the police or or um, you know talk to family members and so we do see that it takes a little bit more of the form of intimate partner violence um, and and so there are unique challenges in the Canadian context um, in, in terms of identifying and responding to human trafficking because it it often is uh, the case that victims don't realize they're being trafficked, they're often really struggling to leave that situation, and um, sometimes they think that they agreed to it or that they consented. And that's why I think it's so important, especially for those who are minors, to understand that they did not consent. You cannot consent in that mm -hmm. context. Um, because I think there's often this perception that I agreed to this, I put myself in this situation. And that's another way that traffickers can really use and abuse these, these people. So that's a, a little bit of an overview. And I know that's super heavy. Uh, and for your listeners, it's a lot of information mm -hmm. all at once. And there are so many different ways that, that human trafficking looks and, and different niches that you can look into. So I would encourage your listeners just to, you know, take the time to do some of their own research and to go look at the Government of Canada website, go check out some of the stats from Indigenous communities, from the RCMP, and, and just look at maybe even what human trafficking data there is available in your own jurisdiction. But that's a little bit of an overview of what we're seeing. Um, and I think the, the last comment I'll make, Jade, is, is in terms of the media conversation, I do think that we're seeing an increase in awareness around this issue, which I find really hopeful. And, and I hope that that continues. Um, but I do think that we need to continue talking about this and continue talking about what human trafficking looks like in Canada, uh, as opposed to internationally, because there are some stereotypes and myths that people have and they think, you know, it's going to be the van kidnapping someone, but really it is, you know, it's, it's the person right next door who doesn't realize that the relationship they're in is not a healthy, you know, uh, a beneficial relationship but is really a, a trafficking relationship where the person is using and abusing them so that's mm -hmm. that's all I'll say for now but <laughs> um but there's a little bit of a crash course and there are there are lots of really great resources that are available online for those who are interested in doing their own research mm -hmm. um one thing that kind of comes to mind is um the idea that in Canada sex work is legal and so do you think that at all the legal legalization of sex work sometimes makes it difficult to differentiate between um, cases of human trafficking for people who are over the age of 18, or, or maybe 
like I'm I'm honestly not very educated on like what protects sex workers right and like what how they can actually consent to and like what consent really looks like so yeah that's kind of my thinking right now is like um does this make it difficult for other people like outside sources to look at a situation and say that's illegal or that's illegal yeah so I I mean the the whole area and the law around sex work is and and prostitution and trafficking in persons is really really complex um and that might be a podcast for another time (laughs) so much to dig into but what what I will say is that in Canada our laws follow um what's called the Nordic model and so we don't criminalize um well we we don't focus the criminal attention on the person who sells their sexual services, but we focus Mm -hmm. on criminalizing prostitution and focusing the attention of the criminal law on the purchaser. And and this is what's called Mm -hmm. end demand or the Nordic model. And, and I'll just, I only mention that um, not to get into the issue of sex work particularly, but to talk about the ways that that end demand response was really focused on combating human trafficking. And the, the hope behind that was that by combating the demand, the the um, the incentive for traffickers to respond to a demand, that it would actually decrease the, the uh, experience and the prevalence of human trafficking. And this is a model, like I said, that's been adopted in other countries and, um, and it, it'll be it'll be important to kind of look at what the data is coming out before versus after this legislation um Mm -hmm. but but i think you know generally speaking um when when there is a, a situation where you're seeing an individual who looks uncomfortable, looks unsafe. Um, maybe you, you notice that they have uh, multiple phones or they, they're wearing clothes that are inappropriate for the weather or you're dealing with, um, you know, when someone is, you're, you're seeing a situation where the, the man that the, this person is with is doing all the talking and doing all of the, 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 the discussion, um, you know, and that person is not able to answer questions on their own. If there's any type mm-hmm. of linguistic barrier, all of those are some big signs for um, being at risk where you might be looking at a situation where someone is being trafficked. And so, you know, if you're really concerned, I would encourage you to uh, call either the national hotline. So in Canada, we do have a national human trafficking hotline. I would encourage you to call um, call that hotline. I don't know the number off by heart, but maybe we'd, we could include it in uh, the summary, but mm-hmm. I would encourage you just to look up the, the national hotline in Canada because you could call and provide some information there, um, or you could call your local police service and just say, hey, this is the situation I'm seeing. And they will have the resources and tools to know, you know, whether this is a situation of human trafficking, whether it's something to look into further, and they'll kind of take it from there. But I would encourage Mm -hmm. people, if you see something that that makes you very worried, very uncomfortable, you're seeing someone who's uh, maybe crying and looking very unsafe, then that is the kind of thing that, you know, we as individuals, we can't go in and, and intervene. We shouldn't go in and intervene. That can just make things so much more dangerous dangerous for for mm-hmm. both the victim and for ourselves but we we can definitely do our part to to raise awareness at, uh, or raise a, the the alarm to those who are uh, well equipped to address that and and then leave that information with them and keep yourselves educated right these are some of the in, the warning signs we we know right now but i would encourage everyone to just google you know what are the warning signs for human trafficking and look mm-hmm. look them up in your own jurisdiction and 
and uh, yeah, try to try to keep yourself educated and aware and maybe share that information with some of your friends who might not be aware that this is an issue in Canada. Um, mm-hmm. I, I know I know people who have reported and, and who have really, um, I, I don't know if those were cases of human trafficking, but if they were, then they really um, significantly improved someone's life. And so, um, yeah, so that's that's one way that we can get involved and, and help combat this issue together. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought it was good that you mentioned um, we should always contact the authorities and contact people mm-hmm. who can actually, who know what they're talking about, first of all, and then actually have the authority to deal with the situation. Because I think especially with high school students, um, a lot of the time, if if it's, uh, you know, involving an emotional relationship or a boyfriend-girlfriend situation, then we might try to go in and, and solve it ourselves or take mm-hmm. control or intervene to help a friend, which can come across as sincere and, you know, trying to solve the problem. But in reality, it could be making it more complicated um, and you could be like losing that time, right, where mm-hmm. they might need to get um, to, um, you know, reporting the situation and looking into it, investigating it right away. Right. Mm -hmm. So going straight to the authorities would be a smart option, especially for the younger people, because we always don't know what we're doing. Um, (laughs) But yeah, sure. If you had maybe a little timbit of advice or something to inspire the young people who are thinking, oh, man, this seems way bigger than me. What can I possibly do? Yeah. What's a little bit of advice you could offer us? Yeah, for sure. Well, I think, you know, this this is one of those issues where there are lots of people who uh, really want to get involved and and they kind of they might not be super qualified they might not be a police officer or a service provider you might be in my situation where you're not trained to actually provide these services on a frontline basis and mm-hmm. go in and help people directly but that's okay because even though we don't have those skills, we have other resources. So for example, I don't know all the people in your community, but I'm sure that most of them, at least some of them will not know about the issue of human trafficking, will not know that it's an issue here in Canada. And and that is an opportunity where you can actually go and make a difference in your community in a unique way. You don't need to have special skills to just talk to your friends, talk to your teachers, talk to your family members about this issue and just flag for them that that it does happen in Canada. That is Mm -hmm. a, a unique position of influence that you have. And I would encourage everyone who's listening to do that. That is one step practically that you can take to really make a difference and see human trafficking end in our lifetime. The other thing I would say is, you know, with with the, the the topic of advocacy, I'm a really big believer in identifying what your skill set is and finding a way to use that to advance this cause and, and advance the anti-human trafficking movement. So you might be a gifted musician, you might be an artist, you might be someone who really likes fitness and can do a walk to raise money. I don't know what, it, what that looks like for you, but whatever it looks like, I, I'm sure there is a way that you can use that to make a difference, uh, bring a positive impact, and maybe fundraise or provide support to a local organization. That's another thing. There are a number of really great organizations that exist. I'm I'm sure there are some in your unique communities, but there definitely are some um, in in the province of Ontario and other provinces and, and internationally. 
and domestically. And so I would encourage you, you know, look up that, an organization, find one that you're really passionate about, that you appreciate their vision and what they're doing to end human trafficking, because there are so many different ways to combat human trafficking. So find an organization that you really love, that you support, and, and volunteer, find ways that you can support them and meet some of their practical needs. Um, and the last thing I'll say is, I think, especially for those who are young, who really feel like, you know, I should wait until I have a university degree, or mm -hmm. I should wait until this point in life or that point in life to make a difference. I don't think you should disqualify yourself just because you're young. I think you have unique opportunities now that you won't have in the future. And why wait? There's a mm -hmm. quote that I really, really love by William Wilberforce. And it says, we are too young to realize that certain things are impossible. So we'll mm -hmm. do them anyway. And so for those who feel like this is such an overwhelming issue and there's just no way that little old me could make a difference, I would encourage you to not let that dissuade you, not let that tear you down, but really say, you know what, I'm too young to believe that ending human trafficking in my lifetime is impossible. I have another, you know, I have decades ahead of me. I have another 80 or 90 years in me. I can mm -hmm. help work um, and use my time, my money, my skill set to see this end in my lifetime. And I think if enough of us do that, we will actually see this end, right? We have seen tangible mm -hmm. impacts. You can make a difference in the life of, of people in Canada and internationally. And so don't disqualify yourself, use the skills that you have and, and we'll, we'll do this together and, and join in the, join in with us in the movement. We need you and, and your community needs you. So mm -hmm. that's what mm -hmm. I would say to the, to the high schooler who is wondering whether they should get involved. Maybe start a club at, at your high school, maybe look for a club at your university, but don't disqualify mm -hmm. yourself just because you're young. We're too young to believe that it's impossible. So let's do it anyways. Yeah, I love that. That's mm -hmm. so good. All right. Well, I think we covered all of the big points. Um, and hopefully another time we could go into more specifics and share things online. Um, I want to link the different organizations you touched on, hopefully in the description. And I'll make sure to share about your webinar happening on our Instagram account, uh, The Freedom Seekers with a Z. Um, and yeah, this has just been really, really awesome. So thank you so much, Leah. It's been really, really good. Awesome. Thank you so much, Jay. Thank you, everyone who listened. There is so much more that could be said. You would mm -hmm. need many, many uh, podcasts to, to get through all the content. But I just I love what you're doing, Jade. And I think you are the prime example of, of what we were just talking about, of using your skill set and using what you have at your disposal to make a difference. And so I would encourage mm -hmm. listeners to to listen to your podcast, to share your podcast, to get involved with Freedom Seekers. And it was just such a blessing and so lovely to be part of what you're doing here, the, the movement you're creating to help end human trafficking. Thanks so much for yeah, having me. Thank you. Yep.